Amy, are you taking some rescue remedy? No, I'm taking uh, t- a tincture. I know how you're just loving my tinctures. <laughs> I am. I'm just loving your tinctures. <laughs> Welcome to Cancer for Breakfast with Amy and Steph. I'm Amy. And I'm Steph. Try to make cancer for breakfast safe and comfortable for everyone, it may not be suitable for all audiences and is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors. We didn't even go to podcasting school. <laughs> Hey, Steph. Hi, Amy. Hi. Welcome to Cancer for Breakfast. Hi, friends. Hi, friends. Here we are again. Here we are. Um, can I tell you a funny thing to start, start it off? Mm-hmm. Slash embarrassing slash funny. Yes. That involves failing miserably on my attempt to pull the cancer card recently (laughs) yes yes please take me to the lighter side um i have been fostering dogs through this wonderful organization in town i don't need a trophy i'm not telling you that to sell me good job it's just a fact um but we've been having a lot of fun toying with the idea of getting a second dog but like wanting the perfect fit and just having fun having another dog playing with our dog and then they go get adopted it's lovely so this one dog appears up in the adoption or the fostering queue you get a foster and if you want to adopt it, you can so it's the perfect dog all right i promise this has to do with cancer don't worry um you're like it better um Mm -hmm. that was definitely what i was thinking (laughs) so like you um so it's this adorable border collie mix it looks happens to look just like the dog i grew up with which i know it's annoying when people want to like replace their dogs this never works but I just like that type of dog. It's the dog I said when we were starting to foster that I wanted to somehow end up with one like this. Yeah. And then I read about it. It's like no issues with, you know, like so good, such a good around kids, good around other dogs, just great dog. Then after I've already decided I want to foster this dog, I want to adopt it. It says this dog will begin chemotherapy once it arrives in Portland. and. For a tumor and it cannot be around other dogs while it is doing this, although it's not contagious to people. If a other dog has direct contact with the tumor, it could transfer to it. I was like, so weird. That's what I thought. I was like, wait a minute. Is this, is that even possible? I was trying to think like if it ripped it open and ingested it, but then it didn't make sense. (laughs) So I was like, maybe this isn't cancer, but also I I don't know. And then I was like, do I want a dog who has to get all of this shit? Like, what if we're adopting a sick dog? And I was like, well, if I don't want the sick dog, what does that say about me? Exactly. I was like, I'm getting that dog. Um, So I 
write the adoptions counselor to just kind of remind her, like name to the face, like, remember me? I'm the one that's been fostering all these dogs with the cute daughter <laughs> and the really nice other dog that likes to play. Like, aren't we a good home? So I just sent her and I was like, Amy, don't don't say it. Don't you don't you do this. And I was like, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to do it. I would just love to adopt blah, 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 because um, I, I like I didn't word it too weirdly. I just and I didn't give sure, her too I'm many sure. details, but I just said, I noticed that this dog is also going through chemotherapy and I don't know if it's cancer, but I went through cancer and did chemo and I just saw that and I just thought, <laughs> and I really wow. think this dog would enjoy my podcast. <laughs> Well, no, I did say I, I do dedicate a lot of, um, I do a lot of, uh, community work in the, in the, with the cancer community, um, uh-huh. now. And I don't know. I just thought, wow, I can't believe that. But anyway, blah, 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 blah. Consider me. And <laughs> I don't get a response for like a week and a half. And then I got the response and I, uh, this dog is going to be fine. So don't get you know, worried, but she was like, dear Amy, um, this dog will be doing chemo until the end of the summer. So blah, blah, blah about adopting possibly, but da, da, da. But she's like, it has a tumor due to transmissible venereal disease. (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) And then I was like, okay. And then I was like, you get away from me then. I don't want that dirty <laughs> slot. Just kidding. Um, so then I've seen a few videos of this dog in the um, adopt or the foster group or whatever. And don't think I'm a jerk here, but this dog has a tumor that looks like a human penis. <laughs> Just hanging down, but it has fur on it. But it is the shape of a human penis. It's oh, and you tried so hard for this dog. You really, what if you had ended up with this dog? What if she had been like, oh, I'm so touched by your story. Absolutely. By the way, the dog has VD. Good luck. I would say great because I still want the dog. I still want the dog. What would you name it? It has to be something dick related, right? Dick. Would you just name it Dick? Sporting Skids. The dog, Dick Sporting Goods, the dog. (laughs) (laughs) I think they would be a wonderful sponsor Uh, for this dog. I think you should write her again and tell her that you've got this dog's life mapped out. I should write her again and be like, venereal disease? Well, I had venereal disease. (laughs) (laughs) What a coincidence. (laughs) In the the gonorrhea and um, chlamydia. (laughs) Syphilis community. And I... Syphilis. Yes. No, I still want the dog. I wanted the dog before I knew. I want the dog after I knew it. You know. And also, I was like, "Is it going to be weird if I'm like I adopted a dog who has cancer?" Everyone's like, "Geez, Amy, you're really into this cancer thing." You know. <laughs> I do think it's funny though. Like, if she had had cancer, for everyone just to be like, "Oh, there goes oh, Amy. Amy." Now she needs the cancer dog. She's got the cancer podcast. I was like, "This is my dog." Did you know that she had cancer too? <laughs> But if you if you tell everybody I adopted a dog with a giant venereal disease tumor, they'll be like, mm-hmm. oh, she's multifaceted. <laughs> Amy's Multi. got so many layers. 
fast. Um, amazing. Okay. Well, I'm going to post a picture of this dog on our Instagram um, because it is so cute. And don't try and adopt it out from under me if you live in Portland. <laughs> I'll find yeah. you. We've got a lot of listeners in Portland. You we might do. have some competition. True. And a lot of listeners with VD. So. <laughs> Vene- dog venereal disease for breakfast. That's my new uh, yeah. podcast if I get this dog. <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right. Should we read some letters? Yes. Do we have some? We have um at least one maybe two let's see um this person writes um that we can be her safe place when she doesn't want to burden her family anymore with her messed up mind post-cancer she writes in my past i was the rock solid one you go to for anything rarely felt stressed in situations and now the smallest thing can be too much things i handled with no sweat now stress me out I feel like I run constantly on a low level of anxiety I never had before. And if you add to it, I just want to run and hide. I am in the middle of a situation that everyone would look to me to handle in the past. And I get so upset with myself that I have lost that steely resolve. I also think it frightens me to lose this trait. I have always pretty much handled most things without asking for help. And I am not super good at asking for help or not coming off as super competent. She finished treatment in 2021 and says that at the end of treatment, she had so many wonderful emotions and relief. Post-treatment is so weird. I do think of it less, but I think I was so numb during treatment because I couldn't process cancer and COVID risks and do treatment simultaneously that what happened to me all comes crashing in waves now. The further away I get, the more jarring it is when it hits. I was always the family fixer and now it is reasonable to feel like I do, but it is hard for others who have not experienced this to understand the post-traumatic stress I feel. And I should be better now that it is over. I feel like no one but those who have experienced cancer firsthand get this. I know part of this is my serious independent streak that does not like to rely on anyone. And I find that stressful all on its own. It is a circular loop. I think it's a circular loop. And I think it is something that so many of our listeners feel exactly what this person is feeling. Don't you? Absolutely. Like 100%. I I feel this so much. I want to say this, first of all, a long time ago, um, my first beloved therapist who really helped me heal from a lot of big traumas in my childhood told me that hyper-independence is a trauma response. Hmm. And it was nice because, you know, she did acknowledge my competence and my need to feel competent and everything. And she appreciated that, you know, I am somebody who can take care of myself, but she did also help me to understand that that hyper independence is, is a result of not feeling supported and having to prove yourself, you know, and Mm -hmm. prove your worth over and over. And so I've found therapy really helpful to deal with that for myself. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, cancer is just a fucking humbling experience. Like at every turn, yeah, you're just demoralized and embarrassed and like, you know, your body failed you. And that feels really sad and scary and makes you tender in all kinds of ways that are really deeply uncomfortable. And it does change you in so many ways. And I think for a lot of people losing that um, ability to actually be really strong, which is such a funny word when everybody constantly is telling you how strong you are, right? (laughs) Going through treatment. But then um, I was thinking in our last episode, you you mentioned not having enough spoons and there's that spoon theory thing, right? And I think that's going on for this letter writer where, of course, before you had however many metaphoric spoons that you could use and divvy out at any moment to deal with anything being thrown at you. Yeah. And cancer takes away a good handful of those spoons. So you're dealing with life and regular problems coming at you with only, you know, however many are left. And once those are divvied out and then more shit comes at you, what the hell are you supposed to do? Yeah. You know? Luckily, I do think the people around us are more able to adapt to change than maybe we think. Because as we get older, as we grow as humans, even without cancer, I do think I've witnessed so many people change in various ways. Yeah. And you kind of have to like accept someone's truth, right? right? And your truth now is that you're dealing with a lot and you're processing a lot and just being done quote unquote with treatment doesn't mean it's over and having to explain that to the people close to you, even if it feels like a weakness or it feels so unlike you to say that you're struggling. I do think sometimes the honesty of it and uncovering the thing that we're all trying so hard to not bring into focus you know Mm -hmm. because we think if we just keep going and we're fast enough through it that maybe people won't notice and then we'll kind of figure it out down the road yeah but sometimes it is just easier to be more open with our vulnerabilities to just be like here's where I'm at like I would love to help with this family crisis we're all dealing with I would love to always be that person but like My spoon drawer is empty. (laughs) My spoon drawer is empty. And, you know, figure it out. Yeah. And I think, you know, sharing that vulnerability with people can also give others a chance to kind of step up and shine. Yeah. And learn new skills and stuff. I mean, that's something that I have had to work on for myself that, you know, I am loath to be the least capable person, but I, I sometimes have to be less capable than I would like to be. And that does give others a chance to be more capable and, Mm -hmm. um, whether they like it or not. I mean, I think that's a learning experience for them too, Mm -hmm. but I think there is, there's like another vicious circle at play here, which is the like you mentioned the like you're so strong circle of people I think you know our loved ones being like oh you're so strong you're so brave and kind of using that as yes you know it's it's a platitude or whatever but also as a way to not talk about 
mm-hmm. how scared they are and how they can maybe see your veneer cracking. And they just mm-hmm. want to be like, no, you're so strong. You're so strong. This is my reality of you. And and then you want to validate that you want to be the strong one. And so you're like, yeah, I'm, you know, sure, working through it, doing great. But then, you know, it's just like a loop that you both get on where they're saying you're so strong, you're trying to appear strong. And there's no room in there for actually experiencing each other's truths. Totally. And I think like if your goal is to move toward authenticity, which I think is like the best way to have a relationship with anybody, then you have to be willing to break down your expectations of someone and also your expectations of yourself a little bit and um, be able to say, oh, I'm like actually really struggling, you guys. Like I identified as the strong one and I'm feeling like my identity is shaken. And yeah. Let people be like, oh, wow, like, yeah, I can totally see how that would be the case. And it's also hard for me to see you as less, Mm -hmm. you know, less strong. And um, that makes me feel scared. And I don't know. I mean, just fucking talk it out, man. It sucks. It's hard, but it's real. And also for your own health, it is good to keep stressful situations to as much of a minimum as we can. Yeah, it really is. And I think it's okay to say that to our families like, you know, I've thrived in stress my whole life and I'm so good at it. And cancer taught me that maybe that's not good. And maybe I need to be able to just exhale and, you know, not pick up all the fallen pieces for everybody. Yeah. Well, because people are like fucking throwing confetti at you and stuff. And like, you're supposed to be hyped. <laughs> but it's like, well, <laughs> actually, I'm kind of scarred. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. Shall I read another? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, this listener writes, I've recently felt confident enough in my hair regrowth to visit the salon for the first time since shaving it for chemo. I went platinum blonde and evened things out and it is fucking fire. I absolutely and completely love it. And I think I look amazing. Well, this last week I had a Facebook memory come up. I look all gussied up for some date night, I assume. Hair is done up long and gorgeous pin curls and victory rolls because I love that pinup life. So I shared it, the memory on Facebook. My mother decided the most appropriate response to this photo was, wow, look at all that gorgeous hair. Oh, Ooh. no. My husband was enraged, as was my therapist, as am I, frankly, um, me being yeah. and staff. I'll speak for mm-hmm. her. Um, I shrugged it off and laughed because it's not malicious, just overwhelmingly tone deaf. For context, my current hair is a very, very much short platinum pixie. So the comparison that my pre-cancer long hair is the focus of praise was gross. I didn't say anything. My husband wanted to, but I convinced him to just let it go. Confrontation would have devolved into her being the victim. And I didn't want to expand the emotional labor. Understandably. For sure. But also take some restraint. (laughs) 
Seriously. Oh, man, mom. What do you think? Oh, boy. The hair sounds amazing. Oh, Um, my God. Right. yeah, Yeah. I mean, platinum pixie sounds incredible. Uh, I do want to say the same thing kind of happened to me, except that <laughs> longtime listeners know I haven't had infusion chemo, so I did not lose my hair mm-hmm. um, from chemo. I had some hair thinning mm-hmm. and I did make the choice to cut my hair, uh, which I actually started when, I mean, this is like super stupid long story. Go back to the beginning if you <laughs> want to hear why this happened to me, but I did initially think I was going to have infusion chemo, so I did Mm -hmm. kind of start the chop. But I had, like, waist-long hair. It was the longest hair I'd had since I was a small child. Wow. And, um, yeah, it's wild. Like, I... I am at my heart a short hair person. I like shaved my head in high school. I have had very short hair most of my adult life. And then I had this like, I don't know, weird, like I'm going to have long hair for a while kind of feeling. And Mm -hmm. I did. And then, you know, when I saw that my hair was thinning, I cut it and cut it and cut it some more. And I'm a lover of the home haircut. So yeah, I just kept kind of hacking at it. And Um, the same kind of thing happened to me with my aunt who has no filter and no tact whatsoever. And she said something very similar, like publicly, like when I saw you with that short hair, like all of your beautiful hair cut off, (laughs) it's just like, uh, Uh I'm sorry, you don't find me beautiful anymore, but, um, I cut my hair by choice. (laughs) Um, people just don't know. They know not what they do. Seriously. Yeah. This person, I asked her if her mom was a narcissist and she said very much so. Um, and I think I always ask that when somebody says that they don't confront or like they know that it's more trouble than it's worth to even say Mm -hmm. like, they'll end up being the victim. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think that just comes out a lot in the cancer world, the people around you just can't when they have that streak in them, you know, they can't not say a little something for sure. And even when it's not something that's like pathological, like being a narcissist, people just impose their own beauty standards onto you in such a weird way. Like Mm -hmm. long hair is not inherently better or healthier. No, (laughs) it's, and um, a short of platinum pixie is like that is the epitome of like cool to me right i know exactly. some people are like bald listening to this and they're like f you amy but <laughs> it is a look for sure and like yeah and i think it's good you know it's good to reclaim your look mm-hmm. and to look different during cancer, after cancer, it's fine. It's just so weird to have to contend with people's weird ass beauty standards on top of it when they're like, oh, but the long hair was so gorgeous. Like, do they expect us to join them in that weird reverie? Right. (laughs) But I would love it if cancer muggles would just take a beat. Take a beat. And think about what you're about to say. <laughs> um, I'm going to take a beat and say something that we did that under the 
bus episode a while back. It's one of our popular episodes. I think people like to share it that is, with yeah. friends to give them a little lesson on what not to say. Um, but we did say in, in that episode, we were going to do an under the bus too. And oh, so it's probably about damn near time. So let's just do a little official call for letters. If you would like to write and complain about somebody who has missed the mark with you. Yeah. Or um, just point out needs you have um, and the things you wish people knew um, when you're going through cancer. We would love to read those. For sure. For sure. I want to shout out a friend that I got to see um, yesterday, in fact, who did the exact right thing for anybody who is listening. Mm -hmm. Um, This is like a friend of 20 plus years who isn't on social media. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Possibly coincidentally. You're like, I have to tell you something. I have cancer. Last night. (laughs) (laughs) No, he did know that. But, you know, I feel like maybe that may have impacted his emotional intelligence in some way. But, you know, he listened. He asked questions that were appropriate. And then he didn't, you know, in retrospect, thinking he didn't really make any comments. He just hugged me Mm. and was like, I'm so sorry. And then kept asking questions it wasn't like Mm -hmm. that was the hard end because he was overwhelmed it was like tell me more Mm -hmm. and um, I think that was just a really lovely way to handle it so framing (laughs) framing our call for under the bus part two um think about stuff that feels directly oppositional to that kind of response <laughs> mm-hmm. or and, what is helpful to tell what has yeah. felt really helpful to you or examples that you've come been surprised by that somebody's done. I think that's nice to hear sometimes, you know, for sure. And, you know, sometimes people do just nail it out of nowhere. And this is not somebody who has an extensive history with cancer patients or even, you know, necessarily, anything outside of just like regular personal trauma history. And Mm -hmm. it was just, it was really great. It was, there was no coaching involved. So, um, shout out to my friend Gaylord (laughs) and also hit us up with all of your best under the bus material for Mm -hmm. good things, bad things in betweeners. Yeah. It's our job to educate the masses. That's right. We're doing it so you don't have to. (laughs) Yep. Exactly. So you can Um, just pass along the link. (laughs) Slip it under the door. Um, How are... (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of things that run under the door, how are those rats doing today? They've got some big news (sighs) about a little study. request from Jamie, our listener, who wanted us to dive in a little bit deeper to that rectal study, 
We're diving in. Oh, totally. <laughs> so we talked about this. Um, the big news out of the ASCO mm-hmm. conference was the Destiny plenary study and also this tiny, tiny, tiny rectal cancer study um, that had really amazing results. Jamie wanted to know more about it. Lots and lots of cancer people are talking about it, um, mainly um, because it doesn't affect any any of us. And <laughs> our friends and family are like sending us this New York Times article like, look at this, it's curing cancer. And we all have to be like, it was 12 people in a rectal cancer study. I 18. <laughs> um, so, I still, come on, let's, I, come on. I am thrilled. Maybe. I'm thrilled with this, with this study. I love a, a good news bit. So I was happy to oblige Jamie. Here it is. This one's for you. Um, so as, as I said, it was a New York Times article that everybody was sharing. We can link to it mm. in our show notes. If you haven't seen it, it's worth a read. It's very well written as they do. Um, but this, this info that I got pretty much all came from the actual New England Journal of Medicine paper and from an article in Medical News Today by Jessica Norris. So just kind of briefly, colorectal cancer is a really big deal in the United States. It's the second leading cause of cancer death here. Rectal cancer treatment is really intense and rectal cancer doesn't, doesn't get the attention. You know, we've talked about this time and time again. These, these cancers that I feel like the embarrassment factor is higher, they don't get all of the fun runs and stuff that, that say breast cancer does. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, people don't want to talk about rectal cancer. They don't want to talk about how to check for it. Um, they don't want to talk about your butt. You know, it's just people are real squeamish. And so unfortunately, that means less research. It means less funding for research. And that really stinks um, because these are are intense, intense cancers that kill a lot of people. Um, And when you're thinking about the treatment, it's chemo, surgery, radiation, and it's on a very, very tender and frankly, very important part of your body, you know, when you're talking about digestion. So anything that can kind of lessen the burden on rectal cancer patients would, would be great, you know. This particular study, it was on, um, I thought it was 18 patients. It was actually 12 patients. So um, correction on my previous, previously stated number, but 12 patients who had locally advanced mismatch repair deficient rectal cancer. So mismatch repair deficiency is when a cell cannot repair mistakes during cell division which kind of is what all cancer is, you know, kind of, but um, this is a specific diagnosis. Like if you're mismatch repair deficient, mismatch repair deficient cancers have many DNA mutations. It can be found in Lynch syndrome patients and it is primarily um, in colorectal cancers, but there are a bunch of other cancers that can be mismatch repair deficient. So Surgery is really the um, the most common way to treat rectal cancer. It's, you know, typically the, the first line treatment, I guess. Mm-hmm. And this study used immune checkpoint inhibitors. It was a, a PD-1 inhibitor 
And I really love what the PD stands for. It's Programmed Death Receptor 1. Yes. That's going to be the name of our grindcore band. (laughs) (laughs) Or this episode. (laughs) Yeah. Programmed Death Receptor. Um, So it used this immune checkpoint inhibitor, PD-1 inhibitor. And basically what happens is in this particular variety of cancer and all, you know, all cancers that are treated with immunotherapy, the cancer cells have been evading the immune system and then the drug doesn't allow them to do that anymore. So this immune checkpoint inhibitor uh, was hugely successful. Um, All of the 12 patients had stage two or three mismatch repair deficient rectal cancer. And um, the study treated them with dostarlamab. Um, It was an IV immune checkpoint inhibitor that they got every three weeks for six months. So, you know, pretty standard as far as Mm. like chemo, you know, a chemo regimen. And at this point, all of the 12 patients are six months plus post-treatment and they all are NED. They're all no evidence of disease. And these patients did not have surgery. They were treated only with this immune checkpoint inhibitor. Wow. And so that's that's huge. Um, being able to forego surgery is a really big deal for this really tender part of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to obviously maintain the most function and this is great, you know. Uh-huh. The kind of flip side of that is nobody yet, none of these 12 patients are at 12 months post treatment. So hopefully they'll they'll maintain this remission. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they also had no surgery to confirm that there is no evidence of disease. So obviously they did all the scans and everything. Um presumably they're <laughs> they're confident otherwise they yeah. wouldn't have done this paper i mean they maybe like the tumor markers and their blood tests and stuff too can tell them if they think they're still right and fighting. i'm i'm really not sure what the line is for surgery like i don't think a biopsy necessarily counts as a surgical intervention but mm-hmm. um you know maybe they had biopsies to see if if there was any cancer left yeah but you know i wonder if they could also use like a scope to photograph it and stuff i mean yeah yeah oh i mean i'm sure they did i'm sure that they have done scopes yeah Mm -hmm. uh you know like colonoscopy style so so anyway really exceptional news for these this particular type of rectal cancer obviously really great for those 12 people and um the kind of talk that i saw from oncologists around this was that it's really great for this really small subset of mm-hmm. of rectal cancer. Um, but every win is to be celebrated, you know, just because it's a small study doesn't mean that it won't have larger implications down the road for other subtypes of rectal cancer and colorectal cancers. And um, so I don't know, it was it was great. It was neat to learn about it and neat to see the inside baseball kind of kind of talk. So thanks, Jamie, for suggesting that we do a little bit of a deeper dive. So cool. I love it. I love the immunotherapies. I love like it really is just the future of. Yeah. Hopefully. Right. I mean, figuring out how these cells manage to 
hide from our immune systems, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the science. Yeah. Neat. Completely. To the moon shot. <laughs> Come on, Uncle Mr. Joe. Biden. Cure my cancer. <laughs> Come on. Stop riding your bike around, falling off of it, and cure my cancer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> interruption interruption this is amy from the future jumping in to this episode which we recorded in the past i had to come back on here i had to bring steph to have this moment in this recording because something crazy happened are you ready? We have a correction. Yes. Um, so remember how earlier in this episode, I told you about Saffron, the, the dog who needed chemo for contagious venereal disease. No, canine transmissible venereal. transmissible venereal disease. Yes. Um, well, here's a little update, you guys. The dog is done with chemo. I'm posting on our Instagram an adorable picture of her wearing a graduation cap and having a little board that says Saffron completed chemo, which I think is... Did she ring the bell? She rang the bell. (laughs) And all the terminal dogs were very sad when they heard that. And they felt (laughs) very unseen. Okay. Um, Yes. So... Saffron, adorable. That's not the update. The update is after we recorded that section, a few days later, my Mm -hmm. creepy ass phone suggests to me to open up a news story all about canine transmissible venereal tumors. (laughs) That is some creepy ass listening. I've not Googled that. I did mention you know, in that email, she had said it. So they're reading my email and then us recording the podcast. That's it. That's it. So these creeps. And then a day after that, another article, one of them was actually from like March or something, which is weirder that it just came out of the blue. They were just waiting for someone to say the words out loud and be like, get this to her now. (laughs) We've been waiting for her. Um, And then the other one was from like two days ago. So that website I effing love science just wrote about it like two days ago. Just so weird. I wonder if somebody from I effing love science was also wondering about this. <laughs> yeah, they wanted to adopt adopt saffron <laughs> as well. Well, another update: saffron uh, got adopted by her foster mom. So good for her. I don't oh. get her, but I'm happy for her nonetheless. Um, okay, but the article says, guess what? Canine transmissible venereal tumor is. It's cancer. It's fucking cancer. And it's, it is cancer. It is. And it's transmissible, which is psycho. I had no idea that cancer could go from, you know, thing to thing through touch, but I guess it does. And so that's why we can't have the two dogs together. Um, that's terrifying. It is. And also it says, CTVT is arguably an impressive cancer being the oldest. I'm impressed. Right. Being the (laughs) oldest and most prolific cancer lineage ever detected. Um, Having spread from its host of origin, the contagious cancer has been transmitted among dogs for thousands of years and now exists across much of the globe. Yikes. Um. Interesting. Well, so yeah, I just wanted to say that because, you know, we were like talking about how it, it wasn't cancer. 
probably. And it was probably just a dog being a slut. But no, it <laughs> shows what we know. <laughs> it's cancer and slutty dogs, but still. <laughs> so weird. Well, best wishes, Saffron. I didn't want her anyway. Mazel tov. Look at this. Let me hold the phone up to, to you. To, oh, look at her with her graduation hat. That's the cutest thing I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, we'll post it on our Instagram. Anyway, okay, back to our episode. Just, it actually uh, is a cancer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, bye. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. This has been another episode of Cancer for Breakfast. Send us letters. Become a Patreon or a Buy Me a Coffee on linked in the show notes below. You will find those. And uh, yeah, if you work for a big ass company or a cool ass small company that might want to be an advertiser. To our lovely demographic of listeners, if it's a good fit, we would love to hear from you. Yeah. Or if you have any ideas, we'll be reaching out to people soon. That's right. Don't unfollow us if you hear an ad. (laughs) Rate, review, subscribe. That is always helpful. Uh, Thank you. Thanks for being our friend. Be well, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. Cancer for Breakfast is hosted by Amy Diles and Stephanie Lejeunesse and produced by Nathan McGeehee. Our theme music is written and performed by Vivivir. Find us at cancerforbreakfast.com, Instagram at cancerforbreakfast, and email at cancerforbreakfast at gmail.com. so much for listening thanks for listening